Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 41, we discuss the future of soccer and what it looks like on streaming in the United States. Lots of revealing soccer TV ratings from last weekend. News about more soccer coverage coming to ESPN3 and promising news at last about NBC's Premier League Pass. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya on Transfer Deadline Day. We're recording this on Thursday uh, and several hours before the window closes. But for Kartik, it's one of those fascinating days in some ways because um, we don't have Sky Sports News in the United States. Uh, NBC will have their broadcast uh, from 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. But most of the activity seems to be on, on Twitter. Um, what, what's your thoughts in terms of kind of how the, the deadline day uh, experience has changed for, for, for good or, or bad? Well, I think it's just a, it's a Twitter thing. And, and uh, it, it's been a Twitter thing since 2010 or 2011, 2010, maybe when we first had the deadline day hashtag. It, it's if you want to aggregate information, track information, Twitter is the place to do it. And I, and I think what we're finding more and more now is that even Sky Sports, if you have Sky Sports News in the UK, okay, you're watching that. But even Sky Sports, they're going to Twitter first. Mm-hmm. And they're posting updates on Twitter or linking to updates and to their live blogs. So you'll even have The Guardian has an active live blog. The Mirror has an active live blog of Sky Sports News, etc. They are tweeting out the same updates you're putting on that live blog. So you've even seen kind of this evolution from television and live blogging to Twitter being the repository for everything and then you can jump from twitter to wherever so if you have twitter you're set uh with uh with deadline day and uh, as always i mean why people by the time people listen to this this will be dated probably but it's always uh you're hearing a hundred different stories 70 or 80 of them won't happen yeah, I've, I've been watching uh, Sky Sports News today just for to have it on in the background, just in terms of just kind of seeing how they're covering uh, the transfer deadline day. And for those viewers that uh, are not able to watch the the show or you mean from the US, you, you're not missing much, to be honest with you. Um, as one example, in one of the news segments, they had a whole news segment on the fact that Alexi Sanchez uh, pressed like on on a, on a, on a tweet. And that was a whole new segment where they were like, oh, what does this mean? Does this mean that he's staying? Does this mean he's leaving? And so much of the news, I mean, anyone that's really uh, on Twitter or on Reddit or any of the news sources, you'll you'll see that um, sometimes minutes, sometimes, um, you mean, it could be half an hour ahead that, the, that those people are actually the ones that are breaking the news. And then Sky Sports News, according to their sources, which is not really their sources, it's it's uh, it's the sources that they're using are you know, Twitter and people like uh, Damasio and uh, Guillaume Balaguet and sources, actually real sources uh, out in the field. Those are the ones that are breaking the stories. And then Sky Sports are saying Sky Sports News source, which is not really. Yeah. So. And ESPN got in trouble for this in the U.S. for years, where ESPN would say ESPN sources say such and such. Let's say it's a college football coach uh, is is taking the uh, uh, Texas A&M job. And then eventually uh, there was so much pushback in the U.S. market that ESPN had to say um, uh, ESPN sources confirm a story first reported by the Sporting News, right, or, or by whoever, mm-hmm. uh, by FoxSports.com. Uh, 
I, I think Sky will get into that trouble um, pretty quickly. Yeah, they Sky will probably get some pushback soon and will be forced to make that adjustment. Yeah, Transfer Deadline Day has become a Sky event. It's become a show. And most of it, if you watch it for several hours, there's no major news being reported other than maybe one transfer here, one there. So they just drag it out. And as the Transfer Deadline Day gets down to the last few hours and the suspense builds, uh, it's, it's it's kind of funny in some ways to watch it, but it's one of those things that I don't, I don't think... Uh, most of us in the U.S. would uh, we're, we're not missing much. That that, that that's the, the the kind of the um, the, the, the bolts and nut, nut, nuts of it. It's just that uh, it, it's overrated. It's drama. It's suspenseful. But it's television, and that's what television is all about. So speaking of television, Kartik, I know this past uh, week, especially uh, from this past weekend, you've been kind of busy focusing on the weather side in terms of um, the, the flooding and the hurricanes. Um, and that's one, one of your passions outside of soccer. But other than the weather, what, what types of um, games and matches and programming have you been watching um, this past week? Yeah, the weather Friday night uh, and the hurricane making a direct uh, uh, landfall in, in Texas uh, prevented me from watching the New York Derby. Uh, so I was planning on watching that that Red Bull versus NYCFC game. Uh, did not see it. Some people tell me it was an entertaining match. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, so I missed that game because of the weather. Uh, so this weekend, ended up watching Bournemouth, Manchester City, uh, first thing in the morning, Saturday. Uh, John Champion, David Pleat were in excellent form. It was... Uh, Obviously, a uh, an entertaining game and a lot of talking points coming from the game about Raheem Sterling's red card and, and Mike Dean in general. So that <laughs> that filled up a lot of time. That, that, that Kartik, I, I was like amazed by John Champion and David Pleat, how well they did in that last 10 minutes of the game. Because it was so crazy. There were so many fouls happening off the ball. There were the players going down everywhere. Then there was, of, of course, the goal celebration. And just, um, again, a lot of the off-the-camera incidents. And this is something that John Champion is one of the best at, is uh, letting the, 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 the viewer know, even if the camera's not focused, on some unsavory incidents. Um, he's a great person at actually telling, painting a picture, telling you ex- exactly what's going on. And sometimes the TV cameras don't want to focus on that on purpose because they don't want to encourage fans to invade the pitch or to you know, kind of uh, you know, to swallow up uh, players whole into a crowd. But I thought both that John Champion and David Fleet did a great job uh, in a feverish ending to the game. Yeah, it was really a crazy ending uh, there. Uh, um, at the Vitality Stadium, then switched to Bremen and, and Bayern, which had just kicked off. Uh, Warren Barton was the co-commentator for this match, and was um, well, Ross Dyer was the was the commentator. Uh, but Barton's uh, commentary was just very predictable. It was largely useless. He made a, 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 some very he made some decent points, but to the same points any commentator would make. Uh, uh, it was interesting to, to, to hear him as a co-commentator for this match and not in the studio. Uh, I think Fox is just trying to find a role for him and, and see what they do with him as we approach the World Cup. Yeah, especially with him not being involved in the studio setup for the Bundesliga uh, and with the Champions League. I mean, a, a year from now, um, there will be no Champions League on, on Fox. It'll be on Turner Sports. So, so where does Warren Barton go? I mean, do you put him on... Anyway, the World Cup. He has to fit into FIFA tournaments and uh, and Bundesliga. Otherwise, uh, I don't know that they have a role for him. Exactly. So, what about uh, the Man United Leicester match, Kartik? Uh, Did you watch that one? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I watched uh, from kickoff uh, of that match at twelve thirty, and uh, it took a minute and sixteen seconds. We've talked a lot about this on the show in the past for Arlo White to introduce uh, Lee Dixon and bring him in. Minute sixteen into the match. Uh, I um, I understand for some people they like that Arlo White is, is painting a canvas. It's a game on NBC over the air, painting a canvas for the listeners out there and the viewers. Uh, listeners, I say listeners because he's got a radio background, of course, uh, of everything at stake in the match. But it's asked if he gives you a full narrative about both clubs before he uh, he introduces his co-commentator. It's not my favorite style. I think it probably is the preferred style of a lot of our listeners. Uh, but to me, again, it's something I, I don't know if NBC uh, he wants to encourage or discourage it, but I contrast it with the way John Champion brought us into the game at 7.30 and Eastern time, the Bournemouth Manchester City game, where he brought David Pleat in right away, and there were large 
moments uh, of where he just let the action breathe. And John Champion, as we discussed when we interviewed him uh, here in South Southern Florida when he was um, in town for the Classico last month, uh, has a radio background as well. So mm-hmm. I, I guess it's just different styles. I can't I can't even picture what Arla White would do if he had say just like say ten or twenty seconds just introduce uh, the match or kick off the match and talk about that. It's it's so not his style that I have a hard job imagining what that would sound like uh just because he is so talkative um i mean i just think about john strong on fox and again portland seattle happened this weekend cascadia and this is a portland versus seattle thing arlo white having been the voice of the sounders and john strong having been the voice of the timbers before they both moved on to bigger things but john strong brings in his co-commentator let's say he's working with Stu holden he will say i think just brief intro remarks maybe 10 seconds chris mm-hmm. uh, we'll have to watch this next time strong does the game but i think it's i i generally think strong goes for about 10 10 to 15 seconds then he brings in his co-commentator so yeah. there's another cascadia contrast uh, uh coming the week after another seattle portland game yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so, so let me run through some of my matches, and then I'll, I'll hit it back to you, Kartik, if you have any other, other additional thoughts in terms of some of the other things you've been watching. Sure. Uh, I watched the the Champions League draw that was on FS2. Um, nothing much to say there. Watched uh, hijack splits against uh, Everton. Um, I also watched uh, New York Red Bulls against NYC FC, and this was the game on on the Friday night on ESPN. Uh, that you missed because of the, of the hurricane but um, I watched it uh, I missed the first half so I only watched the second half and uh, Adrian Healy and Taylor Twellman commentating and I must say that uh, this is uh, one of the most entertaining MLS games I've seen in quite a long time I really enjoyed the second half it was end-to-end action there was one thing though that, that bothered me about this one and that's um, what's the point of MLS having uh, VAR if they're not going to use it, and, and there was an incident in the match, um, yeah, the New York Red Bulls. Yeah, New York Red Bulls. They deserved a penalty. I think it was. Um, I think it was Bradley Wright Phillips got really knocked down in the box. I mean, really blatantly. Um, the referee and the officiating crew and, and the VAR crew decided not to to use the VAR, and right away NYCFC uh, countered and scored. So. I don't know, Kartik. I, I mean, to me, I, I guess I guess it's a mistake on, on MLS, MLS's part in terms of the officiating on this one. But uh, just, uh, I mean, you have the technology. So here, here, here's what I, we, we get back to, and we talked about this a few weeks ago when I got a chance to sit down with Howard Webb. He wants to be judicious in how he uses it. He doesn't want to have constant stoppages. And... But perhaps then it's not as useful a tool, right? Because either you get the calls right or you just have a free-flowing game maybe the happy medium between those two doesn't work yeah the part of it i don't like is the subjectivity in terms of uh the crews deciding okay uh how often to use it and how uh less often to use it i mean when it's something that's blatant i guess in a derby it's going to be more heated and probably a little bit more physical and there might be more incidents happening in a game that would be more controversial than say an average game um, but if it's something so blatant that everyone sees it, I mean, Twelman said, I mean, yeah, that's a, a definitely, uh, definitely a penalty wasn't called and they have the technology, but they don't, they, they don't use it. And then they get hit on the counter and then NYCFC scores. Uh, it's kind of a, a double blow, really. So Kartik, uh, you know, I, I found this, I found this kind of fascinating also because we had the con- conversation a few weeks ago on the show about how Webb also saying it's at the referee at the discretion of not the replay officials like it is in Germany uh, or the what what we're calling them the VAR right the video assistant referee it is at the discretion of the center referee Mm -hmm. and clearly in this match because I missed it because of Harvey but I've gone back and seen everything because everybody's been talking about it for six days so I'm fully aware of what happened Uh, in this case he decided just to play on and Because NYC FC scored a goal, it just magnified everything. But as we were taught a couple of weeks ago when we sat with Howard Webb, um, once the next attacking move starts, play is over. So the next attacking move started. New York FC got possession. They scored on a counter. Um, 
the discussion is over as far as the referee and the VAR and Major League Soccer are concerned. Now, in Germany, we've seen it applied very differently in these first couple of weeks of the Bundesliga. So, uh, watch this space. It's just we're just gonna we're gonna be having these conversations over and over again. I, I feel. Yeah, Karthik, I, I think it's one of those things that um, sometimes counter attacks can happen so quickly that I realize the referee's probably only got like what, a couple of seconds to to make that call to to blow his whistle to to go to VAR. But if he's not seeing the incident, but what we, the TV viewers, are and seeing how blatant it is, it puts the referee at a disadvantage even more so now because now we there is an opportunity to use VAR, and if it's not being used, it makes it I mean it makes fans even more furious. So yeah. uh, it's definitely uh, one thing to watch uh, as this technology uh, unfolds. Uh, in terms of some of the other games I watched, I, I was away on Saturday. Um, I think it was, like, I don't know, AYSO meetings or something like that. Some Soccer season has started again for my kids. So I missed um, the, the Palace-Swansea game. I didn't watch it live. So when I came back um, that afternoon, I watched, uh, I watched it uh, on Premier League Pass. And again, it was there waiting for me. No spoilers, no advertising uh, with NBC uh, Gold. And I was able to go ahead and watch it. And um, what a game it was. I really loved watching that one, especially with uh, Swansea getting the victory. Um, then I, I was able to go back in through um, the NBC Sports app, logging in with my Fubo TV authentication with my login details through there since I've cut the cord. And I was able to watch um, all of the highlights of the games on on the Saturday morning that I missed. So I got caught up really, really fast and um, enjoyed that. I uh, watched uh, Las Palmas against uh, Atletico Madrid. Uh, watched uh, Chelsea Everton on the Sunday. Uh, West Brom against Stoke. I watched that one too. Um, actually, the Chelsea Everton match I was watching, and it got a bit bored by uh, how horrible Everton were, was that day and how good uh, Chelsea was. So I did switch it over to um, West Brom Stoke, and uh, I watched about like the last three or four minutes of that game. And I have to, I have to say, the Chelsea Everton series uh, has. It turned on a dime since uh, uh, Everton's victory uh, in the late Mourinho days at, at uh, Goodison. These have been two of the most dominant performances between big clubs uh, that I've seen in the Premier League era the last two years. The Chelsea-Everton games at the bridge have it, been two of the most one-sided matches. I, I laugh, Kartik, uh, because... Actually, in some ways, this is probably works in NBC's favor in terms of if there is a match on a, on a Sunday morning at 8.30 uh, Eastern and it's Chelsea-Everton, and even if it's not the uh, most competitive game, which this, wasn't, wasn't, this one wasn't, it was pretty one-sided. In the past, you could have then said, okay, well, let me go to NBC Sports uh, Live Extra or, or the app or Premier League Extra Time and let me switch over and let's watch West Brom against Stoke because that one might be a little bit more competitive. The way that the NBC Sports has got it set up now with Premier League Pass is it's going to prevent people from switching the channels because if you don't have Premier League Pass, you're probably going to say, well, let me just stick with Chelsea against Everton and I'll watch the rest of that game. Or maybe you switch to Bundesliga. But but in some ways, it actually works in NBC's favor. If somebody just wants to watch the Premier League, they might just stick with a game where, while in the past they wouldn't have done. And that improves uh, NBC's numbers. Yeah, uh, I know uh, the next game we're going to talk about, we have to have a conversation about Liverpool-Arsenal because um, I, I'm sensing you probably feel the same way I do about the fact that half the pregame show was taken up uh, <laughs> on this discussion of Mignolet when to me the most obvious thing is last season Arsenal had been opened up uh, just so easily by Liverpool in both their meetings, that that's your logical starting point. And there ended up being the psychoanalysis. Is he forcing Karius in? Is he unhappy with Mignolet? Uh, to the point where I don't think, and generally NBC studio talent is very good and they recovered uh, at, at halftime and, and postgame. But uh, I don't think they did the, the, the buildup for this matchup the proper justice and talked about what we were going to see. And what we saw was just a repeat performance of the last few times these two clubs have met, even at a, maybe at a magnified scale, this one was, was worse, but uh, it was utterly predictable what happens when Liverpool under Klopp meets uh, Arsenal under Wenger. Yet uh, we didn't have the proper buildup and analysis coming into the match. And uh, I, I thought that that was to me a huge red uh, blot on the weekend for NBC. It was disappointing uh, for sure, Kartik, because it was one of those things like pre-match, I think it was 
Carl Martino said that uh, I just don't understand this. I, don't, I just don't understand what he's doing, what he's thinking. Um, Klopp, of course, in terms of um, benching um, Mignolet, well, not, not even starting him at, at all. Uh, and, and to me, I was I mean, to me, I just as as a soccer fan and as somebody that uh, that watches these games uh, week in week out, to me, it made perfect sense. Not just because of. Uh, in previous matches, but in terms of just uh, Mignolet, uh, I mean, even even the game against Watford, there were a couple of goals there too that he could have done a better job at trying to save it, save the balls coming at him. Yes, they were coming uh, fast and furious, and the defence was to blame also. But uh, to me, it made just perfect sense to give him an opportunity to, to bring Clarius in and and, and sit out uh, Mignolet. And and I t- I too, Kartik was disappointed in terms of um, NBC's coverage of that particular incident because it took up so much time. It took about probably like 10 or 15 minutes of coverage. And at the end of the game, I mean, that coverage was essentially meaningless. We didn't didn't talk about Arsenal setting up a team where they don't have a a defensive midfielder uh, in there. They don't have Coughlin in there. Elneny is injured. So they've started with Ramsey and and Shaka. It's utterly predictable what's going to happen with those two guys against the three-man midfield of Vinaldum, Sean, and Henderson, right? Mm -hmm. It's obvious what was going to happen. There was no discussion of the fact that Oxlade-Chamberlain and Sanchez are both one of ways and were thrown into that lineup and uh my opinions on oxley chamberlain's performance have been uh tweeted and retweeted uh, on twitter right so i don't want to get into that and, and it's very ironic he ended up going, moving to liverpool but um there wasn't the discussion of the things that were important in this match and it's probably the first time in five years five seasons they've done it that i can say that about nbc leading into a big match i, I was very disappointed yeah, they all seem to be on the same track too. So, um, so maybe maybe this is an opportunity where we're missing out on um, Robbie Musto, who could have maybe added some analysis here. That would have been contrary. Yeah, Musto would have been all over that Arsenal lineup. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so to me, it was kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly because you had uh, the good part of the analysis, which was a halftime from NBC, and uh, especially Robbie Earl, who was able to pick out for the first goal that Liverpool scored, uh, Firmino. Um, that the Arsenal players just just seconds before that goal was score, scored, the Arsenal players, I think it was Ramsey, was one of them, and there was another one, had their backs turned to the goal and was walking over to the sidelines to ask for instruction or talking to to uh, Wenger, and and that was a really good uh, point in terms of catching that and illustrating in terms of how the Arsenal players weren't weren't focused; they were either looking for direction or receiving direction, but at the worst possible time. And also the halftime analysis from Carl Martino in terms of just stripping away this first half uh, Arsenal performance, just ripping it apart in terms of uh, that. Um, the, the, the bad would have been the, the, the pre-match in terms of just over-focusing on, on Mignolet. The ugly part of it, Kartik, for me at least, was uh, post-match. And I thought that the analysis from the pundits was over the top. Yes, Arsenal was absolutely awful in this game. And they were, I mean, out-fought, out-played, out-coached, you name it. But it was interesting to me, and I thought it was over the top, that Lee Dixon said this, this was really the, the worst performance he's seen from an Arsenal team. And I was thinking to myself, is this really the worst performance? Is it, is it any worse than Arsenal's 6-1, A2. A2 or 6-1 defeat to Man United in 2001, the A2 game? I mean, Arsenal has had lots of horrible games. They've had lots of good games. But to say this is worse... At 1-0, I was texting my Arsenal fan friends, telling them this this is, looks worse than the 8-2. So, yeah. um, because in that 8-2 game, if you remember, Manchester United scored a bunch of goals early. But there were large portions of the game where Arsenal were, um, were, 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 I thought, played decently. This game, even at 1-0, it just looked like there were guys who were, weren't trying. I've used the term sabotage with, with Ox. Maybe that was a, a too strong a word, but he certainly, the second goal, you watch back the second goal. I challenge anyone to watch the Mane goal and watch Oxley chamberlain as the right wing back. And the first, the way he, he jogs, lightly jogs, and then the angle he takes, leaving uh, poor uh, Rob Holding on an island against uh, one of the top five or ten players in the Premier League. I, that, there's only going to be one winner in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this, I think there was a serious uh, lack of uh, effort from, from the Arsenal players. In that 8 2 game, I think we were at a point that year when Arsenal had a ton of injuries uh, and 
entered the 2011-2012 season, if folks remember the context, with uh, half the team injured and with transfer rumors swirling. Now, the transfer rumors swirling uh, also applied to this one. But, yeah, um, it took them, Chris, about 15 minutes to start discussing Liverpool and how well they had played, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And and then they, they kept on apologizing for it. I think Rebecca Lowe said, like, uh, I know you Liverpool fans are probably furious about this, but that, that's, that's, uh, let's focus on Arsenal first. Uh, yeah, it, it was poor, and, and and it seems to be at least. I mean, I mean, Lee, Lee Dixon in this part was over the top, in my opinion. They were over the top about the praise for Man United, uh, but the reality is, is that actually the TV numbers, which we'll get into later, have been really, really, really good. So, so maybe this is what uh, the audience wants: is over the top analysis. But, but to me, it's just disappointing a little bit in terms of uh, what it's... we've seen. It's also relative to expectations because I'll get to ESPN FC maybe in a bit, but uh, and the week they've had with the transfer deadline day. But on Arsenal, I've been talking for weeks about how ESPN FC has been hypercritical of Arsenal. No one picked them in their top four. They're down on Wenger. They're high on Tottenham, unlike NBC. And this, the analysis of this game in the ESPN FC studio was basically, yeah, this is what we expected. Eh, this is this is it. This is the same mistake he always makes. And it wasn't over the top. It wasn't excited because uh, it is the level of performance from Arsenal in these sorts of games that Moreno, Nickel, Hislop, and uh, and Burley expect. So maybe part of it was NBC again, as we talked. I've talked about on the show for three weeks now. Has. Uh, to, from where I sit, has overhyped Arsenal this season, thinking that they're, and maybe that's again to drive numbers. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that could be a strategy to kind of hype them up, and then once the once we know that they're going to fall, it's just hit them hard, and and uh, it makes for interesting television. But um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. The, the, Although Rebecca Lowe, to her credit, has, I think finally said, "Haven't we been having the same conversation for five yeah. years?" Because it's, yeah. this goes back to on this podcast, the previous iteration. Richard Farley and I got a lot of critique from Arsenal fans. Remember this, Chris, mm-hmm. who would say, how come you say if this team signs this player, West Brom signs this player, or Stoke signs that player, uh, things are different and they could be better. But Arsenal, you're saying it's always the same because it is always the same. Mm-hmm. And we would get so much stick. But Richard and I would say, hey, until Wenger shows us something different, we're just going to stick with our analysis from 2011 and 2012 and apply it to Arsenal. And for the other 19 teams in the Premier League, come up with original uh, thoughts. Wow. And that's where we're at yeah so, yeah not, uh, not, not, a, not a lot has changed years since after then Richard and i had got a lot of complaints from those of you listening out there mm-hmm. so so one more uh, match i watched contact that i do want to mention that was uh, real madrid against uh, valencia that was on the sunday match and this one to me was the game of the weekend uh, a really entertaining 2-2 tie uh ronaldo of course not playing due to suspension but uh um Probably Ray Hudson probably summed this game up the, the best. He had a quote um, halfway, oh, actually towards the end of the match, and his quote uh, during the commentary was, uh, there's more bodies on the ground than the Godfather. And it was a very physical game, lots of fouls. Again, almost like Bournemouth City with players going down, and it was just a really entertaining game to watch, and I thoroughly enjoyed that one. So, Kotick, uh, back, back. Uh, Two other quick things. I, sure. I don't know why I didn't have them in the notes. I thought I'd put them in. Uh, Roma Inter, I was able to watch that on um, uh, uh, B in Sports and Espanol. Uh, I thought it was a fantastically cagey tactical match. Spalletti at his best against his, his former side. That's, um, that's one thing, Kotick, is that this season more than any other season is that um, in terms of Serie A coverage on B in Sports, um, there's less and less on, on the English side. So there's usually now about one game on, on a Saturday, which is usually, usually the Juve game that you'll find on the English uh, being yeah. sports, yeah. and maybe, maybe one on, on the Sunday. But it's really, it's really now, especially with La Liga having this staggered schedule where there's no games overlapping. It's one after the next, after the next, after the next. Uh, almost all of those are on being sports um, other than PSG games, which... Even the PSG games, uh, when they do kind of uh, match up at the same time with um, the, the Spanish league, usually they'll move the PSG game then to uh, connect. But as a whole, in terms of Serie A coverage, I think for most fans, it's it's a bit disappointing. I mean, you, you can get it through Connect, but it's not the same. Seattle-Portland uh, final game of the weekend I watched was uh, something I'm always very excited about. Uh, John Strong versus Arlo White, in a way, as we talked about earlier, from a broadcasting perspective. Uh this wasn't the best Cascadia match by a long shot. I, they're first and second in the Western Conference. I sense neither team really wanted to go for it in the second half. Uh, so this is a byproduct of not wanting to lose to your rival and being in in 
prime pole position, whatever you want to call it, for the playoffs. And um, the game kind of being cagier and, and less exciting than I had hoped. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of these matchups. So uh, I, I was disappointed. FS1 did a good job covering it, by the way. But um, I was disappointed by the match. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, so uh, most of you are probably aware of this if you're podcast listeners, and a lot of you have, have uh, written to me and tweeted me, DM me, about uh, James Richardson leaving the Guardians Football Weekly. Uh, James Richardson and producer Ben have moved on. They're, they've teamed up with Ian McIntosh uh, to start a, a new pod on Ian McIntosh's new pod network, and uh, Max Rushton is the new host. I, I uh, but it's the same kind of team of uh, cast of characters around him. For example, on uh, on Monday we had uh, Barry Glendening and uh, and uh, Jonathan Wilson in, in in the pod with uh, with Rushton, and uh, that that of course leads to heavy Sunderland discussions and Sunderland <laughs> analogies about everything when you have those two. But uh, it's the same pod, except maybe the style of the uh, presenter is different. So I don't think this is the, apo- uh, the apocalyptic event so many of you have made it out to be. Uh, give Max Russian a chance. He, his style's different. Uh, but I'm, I'm still listening to Football Weekly. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. In other news, uh, Premier League Pass has made some uh, much-needed uh, uh, upgrades. What they've done, first of all, is they've added the on-demand functionality. So if you do uh, subscribe to uh, Premier League Pass via NBC Sports Gold, is that now you can actually, uh, you don't have to watch Premier League News and Fan Zone and uh, Premier League Today and all those other shows that they have as far as the shoulder programming. Previously, they were only available live, but now you can watch them live or on demand. So that makes a big difference. And the Premier League news show is is particularly really, really good, um, featuring interviews with um, their talent from around uh, the UK in terms of uh, at the stadiums. Uh, I would highly recommend that. That's definitely a plus on on the Premier League pass. Also, uh, we reported this week on worldsoccertalk.com is that NBC Sports is in talks with cable companies to figure out a solution for Premier League Pass for bars and pubs and restaurants that do want to show those games. Uh, As of right now, NBC says it's okay with uh, people, bar owners, subscribing to Premier League Pass and then showing those games uh, in bars. But uh, that is up until they can find a solution that they can sell then to bars, which usually costs a lot more. Um, And um, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see if they come up with a solution they mentioned cable. Uh, hopefully, it's cable uh, and satellite because uh, there's not a lot of uh, bars that, that have exclusively cable. Most of them have direct TV, but still, some good news there from uh, Premier League Pass and NBC. Kartik, on, on to other news. Yeah, play up Pompey. A lot of excitement among uh, uh, the, the uh, Portsmouth fans here in the United States. ESPN3 will be streaming select League One matches this week during the international break. It includes a Portsmouth match. Also, uh, uh, you'll get to see uh, uh, Bradford City, uh, uh, Peterborough United, and, and some other uh, League One clubs. So exciting news, especially if you want to kind of broaden your horizons uh, with football during the international break. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings. And, and some big news this past week in terms of some interesting numbers coming out of the different leagues on U.S. television. Uh, how, about, how about you kick it off in terms of some of the... Uh some of the findings we see. Yeah, so 2 million-plus games in the Premier League this weekend. And we, we talked about last season how the struggles uh, for uh, NBC in, in most cases to, to cross that million plateau. They did it with two matches this weekend. Uh, this is obviously Spanish and English language numbers. Uh, we've combined them for you. Million uh, eighty-three on Man United Leicester, which was NBC and Universo. Um, so one, uh, one over the air, one, one cable. Uh, and just about 10,000 fewer viewers on average for Liverpool Arsenal Sunday morning on NBCSN and Telemundo. So, again, that's uh, a uh, cable channel in English and uh, over the air in Spanish. Uh, those are uh, those are fantastic numbers and actually beat the top Liga MX games this weekend, which were uh, Tigres Lobos on Univision on Saturday night. That was uh, 860,000 viewers and 809,000 for uh, the Chivas match against Cortero uh, on Univision uh, on Saturday night. Uh, Liga MX East, 
on average does have a game or two that outdraws a Premier League game every weekend. That did not happen this weekend. Yeah, the, the Bundesliga now to Kartik, this is really impressive because we've had quite a few years now of sub 100k viewers for, for the, the big matches other than the ones that are on, of course, over the Air Fox. But um, this is the second week in a row that we've had some 100k plus viewing figures. So we yeah, have- this is going to be worrying for MLS fans because MLS people will will uh, always that their retort is, well, look at the numbers the Bundesliga gets. We're getting two, three times, two, three, four times that. Now that gap, uh, if, if we look at a, just a couple of isolated games this this uh, week, the MLS games did have better numbers, but not by much. Uh, continue. Yeah, so so part of it, uh, there's a few different th- reasons why they're improving. One is this that uh, the games are being shown on uh, Univision Deportes. Well, at least um, some select games are being shown on Univision Deportes. That's one reason. The second reason, of course, is uh, Christian Pulisic. But so looking at the numbers, we had 162,000 for uh, Bremen against Bayern Munich. That was on FS1 and Univision uh, Deportes Network combined. Uh, 156,000 for Dortmund against Hertha Berlin. That was on FS1 and Fox Deportes combined. Um, so those are some big numbers for the Bundesliga and actually very promising. And um, we'll get to MLS in a little bit. There were some lower numbers, though, too, from um, the, the German leagues. We had, um, well, one example, actually, uh, a bad example, Kartik, is uh, Leverkusen uh, losing Chitarito, but Leverkusen against Hoffenheim. That was on FS2, and that had 6,000 viewers. So, I mean, that's partly FS2, again, kind of the, the last bastion of soccer coverage. Um, but you had uh, Cologne against Hamburg. That was on the Friday game. And that, had, that just had 40,000. The Leipzig-Freiburg game had over 100,000 viewers. That That's uh, really surprising. I don't know if that's a, a one-off, but you have two. Uh, Leipzig obviously finished second in the league last year, but they don't have a following in the U.S. And Freiburg is got... Does hardly has a following in Germany and, uh, outside and that of must, their town, and that must have been a Sunday game. So that's yes, that was. A so that's so that's that's interesting in terms of um, definitely picking up numbers on the Sunday games too, which usually those wouldn't do that well, um, just because there's you well, know they can, Premier League. Be- why you said the Premier League pass isn't available. So if there were people who wanted to watch Spurs and Burnley when they saw how bad Arsenal were, maybe. Uh, they were for they they switched to the Bundesliga game instead yeah. because they didn't have that option. Or or it could be new new sports fans or new uh, viewers into this. So uh, some some promising numbers definitely from Bundesliga. Yeah. Now looking at Major League Soccer, Kartik, it was one of those weeks that um, I was really disappointed with the numbers um, again, unfortunately. But I, I mean, with it being uh, MLS uh, rivalry week, I uh, mean it's it's hyped up a lot. So you had some of the numbers that came out. For example, you had 181,000 for Montreal against Toronto. That was on ESPN on Sunday. I think it was like at four o'clock or four thirty. Uh, LA Galaxy against San Jose. This is the one that stands out to me as being really disappointing. Yeah. These are two California teams. We've seen huge numbers for this matchup when it's been on Univision. Uh, uh, huge by MLS standards. Well, over a million. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, actually still huge, even by even by Premier League and, and Liga MX standards. Uh, this is... Um, a stunner to me. Uh, just an absolute shock how so, low that number was. Yes, 191,000 people watching this one on Fox Sports 1. Uh, now, granted, the Galaxy's play are not giving many people incentive to watch them. But again, that goes back, I think, to my point about Los Angeles and big market teams in MLS, that if they're not really good, their fan base is very fickle. And actually, in the case of the Galaxy, I don't think they really have a fan base beyond people who go to the games. I've been saying that for years. Uh, that you cannot build a television product just because you're in big markets based on those sorts of teams you're better off hitching your wagon to atlanta seattle portland orlando yeah in some ways though, i i understand the local aspect i mean i'm looking at it from a national aspect but why why aren't fans tuning in to watch uh you mean one of the big the biggest games of the season for la galaxy and i think um i don't know we can do a whole separate podcast on this and actually we've got some uh feedback in the listener mailbag we can probably uh, talk about it more there but um there's, there's lots of reasons. There's, there's not just one or two. There's lots of reasons why these numbers are, are low. Uh, continuing on, so we had um, New York Red Bulls against NYCFC. This was the, the Friday night game uh, live on ESPN uh, primetime. And this, that one had uh, 228,000 viewers. And then the Seattle-Portland game that you mentioned before, that, that one was on FS1 and, and Fox Deportes combined for uh, 342,000. So just as one example, Kartik, goal zone. 
the, the Premier League highlight show on NBCSN on, on Sunday had more viewers than the Seattle-Portland game, which was the, the yeah. most watched MLS game from the weekend. And if you take it, all of the MLS games combined, uh, all four of those, combine them into one, that number is still less than the, uh, the Liverpool-Arsenal and Man United against Leicester games that were on uh, yeah. NBC. Yeah, and, and uh, I, again, I think MLS has a horrible TV product problem. And again, uh, I will point this out for about the hundredth time in the last five years, Seattle and Portland draw better numbers than New York teams or Los Angeles teams. Full stop. Yeah, absolutely. Proven, proven once again. I don't know why I continue to have to have this debate with, with people who are MLS proponents about the Galaxy and about Red Bull and about NYCFC. There are those two teams, now Atlanta and Orlando. Those are what you hit your wagon to. I don't care that they're in smaller markets. Atlanta's actually not a smaller market. I don't care that the other three are in smaller markets. Uh, MLS has got to start thinking that way, and I think they kind of are. I think it's, I think we're seeing a bit of a change, but We'll, we'll get to more of this in the listener mailbag. I know we've got a question yeah. about it. One more, one more thing, Kartik, and I do want to highlight this, is PSG. So for the first time in my memory, I, I, I don't remember this ever happening, but uh, a league owned game got more than 100,000 viewers. And this was for the PSG against um, San Etienne game. 110,000 viewers. Uh, this game was on uh, BN Sports and BN Sports en Espanol. Obviously, the Neymar effect uh, having a, a big factor in this one. But uh, for Ligue 1 in the U.S., that, that's a huge number and a, a huge uh, kind of watermark for them to, to hit. I, I think as awareness continues to uh, grow as to when PSG is on BN, those numbers will grow. And like I said too, last week, Kartik, on the last week's pod, uh, the highlights show I saw from Liga and just blew me away. I was like, wow, you mean, this is a league I want to watch more of. Um, and of, of course, it's hard to fit everything in. But uh, from what I've seen from Liga and this season, it's been really entertaining. So let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, we've got a few uh, emails and tweets and, and Facebook messages. The first one is from Alan Huffman, and he sent this in through email. He says, uh, this weekend, well, last weekend, I tried uh, using NBC Sports Gold, uh, Gold and the Premier League Pass for the first time to watch the Spurs-Burnley match, and I had major issues attempting to use the service. I didn't get to watch the majority of the game because the video kept sh- shutting off and giving me a uh, error message that said, this content is not available. This happened because it kept uh, logging me out of the site, and I was constantly having to log back in with my credentials. Once I logged back in, uh, I would bring up the game for about one to two minutes, but then the feed would be constantly rewinding and fast-forwarding like a TV until it caught up to the live stream. Then about three, three to four minutes later, I would get the error message and have to start all over again. Now, during the, the time the game was playing, the audio seemed to be about five to ten seconds behind in the video, uh, behind the video, and then the video quality was all over the place, ranging ver- from very good to, to completely blurry, uh, where it was difficult to even see the players. I contacted NBC support to ask what was happening and if it was a problem on my end uh, or their end, and never got a response. So he says, uh, do you think if other people are having similar issues, based off my experience today, I was very disappointed with the pass and the lack of help from NBC customer support. I was on the fence about getting the pass and decided I would at least give it a shot, but I'm regretting that decision now. I love the pod. Uh, thanks for all the work you guys uh, put into it. So, Alan, I, I will answer you and, and, and say that uh, you weren't the only one. There was a lot of people that had issues with the, the Spurs-Burnley game uh, especially. And uh, there were Spurs supporters groups throughout the U.S. who were complaining vociferously, really, really loudly in terms of um, being pissed off. I mean, going into bars, their local supporters club bar uh, to watch the game, having it streamed on on the TV sets uh, through Premier League Pass, and it wasn't working. Now, I don't know how much of that issues uh, stem from Wi-Fi or kind of a strong Internet signal. Um, But for so many people to have uh, issues and complaints with this one, it's definitely a bad look for uh, NBC Sports. And this is a story I wrote about over a week ago, and I said to them that their first big test would be the Spurs-Burnley game, um, not only because yeah. there would be a lot more people interested in it, but also this is one of those games that um, would, would people go to illegal streaming, uh, which in some ways is easier to find than, than the Premier League pass. So, so far, so good uh, for the, the Premier League pass up till the Spurs-Burnley game, but definitely a bad look from, from this one. 
Yeah, and Chris, you, 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 not to toot our horn here at the site, but you, you were uh, talking about that all week last week, that this was really the first test. Yes, we've had two weeks of the season, but Spur, this is the first time a big club with a big and, and perhaps the most vocal U.S.-based fan base with Spurs uh, is, is being dropped to Premier League pass. This is the big test. Well, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out for some folks. Yeah, and somebody tweeted, uh, I can't remember who it was, but uh, imagine what would happen if that was Man United, which is going to happen. I mean, it's going to be a Man United yeah, game although I don't, I three don't times know, or more. I think, I think Spurs, well, there are more Man United fans, but I, I'm, I think Spurs probably have the most ruckus, active fan base in this country of Premier League clubs. <laughs> ah, that's, uh, that's debatable. They're, most vocal. they're the most vocal ones. <laughs> well, they, but they may have a quarter of the fans Man United has, so it would affect more people. But Spurs fans tend to be louder about everything. Okay, so the next, at least in this country. I'm not saying in abroad, but here they are. Okay, where I sit. Okay, so uh, next up is Raymond Orozco through Facebook, and uh, he says, "I like your, your guys' podcast. I think it's really informative and, and and entertaining. I listen to a lot of soccer podcasts, and I watch a lot lot of soccer. And I think the best game of the weekend was Madrid against uh, Valencia. And yet, for whatever reason, the English language soccer podcasts don't go in depth. Like it was the Liverpool versus Arsenal, and and the game was boring. And, uh, um, you anyway, know, he goes on to say that um, uh, there's so many entertaining games, more entertaining games in Spain that don't get the coverage that the EPL does in English because in Spanish tele- television and podcast, um, there's more talking points than the Liverpool Arsenal game. So I, I agree. I mean, in many ways, um, a lot of it is, is accessibility. I mean, it's a lot more accessible to be able to watch Liverpool against Arsenal, yeah. uh, whether it's through Telemundo, which was you mean, over the air, uh, or if it's through NBCSN versus uh, BN Sports and BN Sports and Espanol. Um, so, I mean, yes, BN Sports, you can get it if you really, really want it. But uh, I watched the game, and, and, and to me, it was uh, my favorite for the weekend. So, so there you go, Raymond. All right, next up is... Uh, this is actually from Mike from Salt Lake City, Utah. He sent it in through email. He says, I enjoyed the podcast last week. Interesting topic. I think MLS has tried to bump up its ratings in a couple of different ways, such as featuring the LA Galaxy almost every week. MLS has also tried featuring more, more teams and consistent TV times for national television. Neither has seemed to result in a ratings increase. I support Real Salt Lake and make sure I catch the match every week. But honestly, I wouldn't seek out a Toronto against uh, Montreal game on ESPN. My question is, do you guys think that uh, while people support their local clubs, there just isn't interest in other MLS games on TV? And why do you think people uh, will adjust the TV viewing for La Liga or EPL, but not for MLS? Thanks for answering my questions. Yeah, um, I've talked a lot about this in the past. I, my experience with fans, uh, San Jose fans, Orlando fans, a, a lot of Houston and Dallas fans are that they watch their league. They, they watch their clubs. They love their clubs, uh, but they don't watch the rest of the league. And they actually, in the case of a lot of Orlando fans, look down upon the rest of the league saying, ah, MLS is garbage. You know, we had to do this. We had to be an MLS, move up from USL because it's a top league here. But I'm going to I'm going to spend that time watching uh, um, I, uh, th- the Bundesliga or the Premier League. So um, I think that there is a general feeling that the league itself is not that compelling. It's not that interesting to other fans. The results of other games don't matter as much as they do if you're a general fan of, let's say you're an Arsenal fan and you need to see the Spurs results because you're always fighting for fourth and fifth. Not anymore. Now Spurs are better than that. But for years, that was the case, right? Perennially, they were head-to-head, not just local rivals, but head-to-head for fourth and fifth. there just isn't that relevance in MLS. And I have gone on for years and had these just kind of nasty arguments with people associated with Major League Soccer about the, the use of the Galaxy uh, and the use of the New York teams to try and prop ratings up rather than Seattle and Portland and now Atlanta and Orlando. And I, I feel like I'm winning that battle. But uh, you want to watch something that's going to be compelling to you, right? You want to watch something that's going to captivate you and capture you. When you watch a Premier League game, there is some ambiance from the ground. There's some level of entertainment. There's an expectation that you're going to be part of, you're going to be watching theater. That's not the case with most MLS games. Now, when games are in Portland and they're in Seattle, particularly in Portland, and now when they're in Orlando in the new stadium and in Atlanta, it's different. It's not like watching a game from the Home Depot Center or watching a game... uh, 
from uh, Red Bull or watching a game from Philly, right? It, is, it has some of those aspects that attract us to European football beyond the match itself. So that is what MLS has to do. I mean, they should just wrote, keep showing those four teams. Honestly, that's what I would do because it is about ambiance. It is about atmosphere. It is about feeling like it's theater and it's a big event. You don't get that when you watch the LA Galaxy at the StubHub Center. I'm sorry. You just don't. One more thing, can't together. It's about meaning. It's about meaningful yeah, games. Well, yeah, right. And they, that they can't do, right? I've, like I explained earlier, they're not they're not going to be able to do that unless they change their format. Well, well, yeah, but also, well, the format of the way that the league is set up. But just one example: Correct. the Newcastle against West Ham game from Saturday that had more viewers than any of the MLS games. And why did that have more viewers? And, and to me, it's because that game's more meaningful. We're only three games into the season, but both Newcastle and West Ham, before going into that match, were, were fearful of relegation. They're, they're fearful that, okay, what's going to happen to my season? You I mean, this is a must-win game. Why is it a must-win game? Because if you, you mean, finish uh, the bottom three, you'll, you'll go down. So, so to me, it's um, versus, say, watching... I don't know, Philadelphia Union. I mean, what meaning is in those games to, to watch it? The, if it's not your local team, why would you, if you live in uh, Texas or, or Florida or California, why would you watch the Philadelphia well, Union? Let me give you a great example. I went to an Orlando City game with a bunch of the Ruckus members last season uh, when they were still playing at the Citrus Bowl, came back to hang out with them, and there was another MLS game on ESPN at that time. It was a Sunday. And they were like, no, let's see if we can fire up. Uh, uh, at the time, we didn't have Premier League goal. We had uh, whatever, uh, live, live extra, right? right. Let's, let's just fire up the computer and uh, hook it up to the monitor. We'll watch uh, one of the Premier League games we missed from earlier today. But that was the and, and they did that. Wow. It's <laughs> not even live. Right, yeah, right. yeah. We sat and watched the tape delayed Premier League game because, uh, and I was I was the one lobbying to to turn on the Kansas City game, and they were like, "No, why would we want to watch it? Why would we care? They're in the Western Conference; they don't matter." Mm-hmm. And uh, we missed we missed. Uh, I think it was Stoke, and uh, it was Stoke in a big team. It might have been Stoke Man United or Stoke Liverpool. Uh, we missed that game. Let's watch it. Mm-hmm. It was wow. incredible. Yeah. And then the last uh, question, feedback from one of the listeners, it's Ian O'Neill from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He sent this in through email. He says, uh, should MLS just start over and copy the Liga MX and Copa MX structure, i.e. have two simultaneous competitions per season occurring biannually with a Champions Trophy and a Super Cup played uh, between both of those uh, seasons? What do you think, Kartik? Yeah, I I, um, I think it's it's maintained. It's very confusing in the NASL. They do something similar. Uh, it's confusing, and I don't think they quite uh, ha- have had the co- the communication strategy that's been robust enough to explain it to fans. And fans still get confused, and they're very Americanized. But if it were done at the MLS level, I think core football fans would adapt it and understand it. It's done in many places in Latin America, not just in Liga MX, but uh, places like Argentina, et cetera, uh, where you have that sort of uh, format. And uh, another thing I would encourage is to have state tournaments like you have in Brazil. Uh, we could have a massive one in Florida. We've got 12 teams in the first round of U.S. Open Cup. That doesn't include our professional teams. Um, and have that in between the seasons. Uh, but there are reasons MLS doesn't want to do this. One of the reasons is their collective bargaining agreement, believe it or not. Um, which limits uh, uh, when when their the players can train and when they can play uh, unless they're loaned out to uh, a European or Liga Mekis club. So uh, uh, it's uh, there are obstacles, unfortunately, just these immovable obstacles when you talk about uh, uh, progressive ideas like the one you've suggested, Ian. And we, we did uh, a podcast. It was the June 2nd podcast. It was called uh, What MLS Can Learn from Liga MX or Liga Mekis. And uh, so we went into more detail on that one. If you guys want to go ahead and go back into the archives and listen to that. If you do have any questions, feedback or comments for anything we see in the show or anything above and beyond that in terms of uh, soccer TV coverage or soccer streaming coverage, you can hit us up uh, through uh, email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter is at WSoccerTalk, and then Facebook is Facebook.com slash WorldSoccerTalk. Now, moving on, Kartik, to our feature topic of the week, and that is, uh, it actually results from a question from one of our listeners. 
which is uh, Holden Cribb, and he sent this in through Twitter, and he says, what are your thoughts on how far away we are from having um, a true a la carte soccer package? For example, uh, to pay uh, for just ESPN1 and to be in sports, FS1, FS2, Unamas, etc. I just switched from Fubo to Sling, and I'm still paying $35 a month with tons of channels I don't care, care to watch or I don't, I don't care for. So, so it's a great it's a great question because like what is the future of streaming, uh, especially when it comes to soccer coverage, and I think in many ways um, the the way that it's set up right now, you have a bunch of different streaming services. There isn't just the one service that has everything. So you have aggregators, which are essentially glorified cable companies uh, such as Sling TV. PlayStation View and DirecTV Now. So they're talking about uh, cut the cord and, and have a la carte uh, programming. But essentially, Sling, PlayStation, and DirecTV Now are really cable companies. They've got all your, your well, most of your cable channels, and it seems to be kind of a, just a new form of aggregating all those cable companies onto a streaming package. Then you have more specialized streaming services such as Fubo TV, which is focused on sports, but also has a, has a healthy dose of uh, entertainment, kids, and news channels on top of that. But it also has you know, Chelsea TV and has uh, some of the uh, the Portuguese leagues and, and other leagues and content that you wouldn't be able to find uh, elsewhere. Then you have direct-to-consumer streaming services uh, that come from clubs or leagues, uh, such as iFollow. Uh, for fans of uh, football league clubs in England. And then you've got Rangers TV, Celtic TV, uh, a lot of the Scottish teams, in addition to the football league teams, uh, streaming directly to you, the consumer. So if you wanted to watch, I don't know, Bradford City matches, you could subscribe to Bradford City's uh, streaming channel and get all of those delivered to you. So what you have is really, and, and actually in addition to that, then you have in-between services such as Premier League Pass, which is kind of an add-on service uh, to, to what's already out there. So that, that's, that's where we are today. And then next season then too, you've got the streaming product that's going to be coming out from Turner Sports, which we've talked about in previous episodes, which will give you access to all of the Europa League games exclusively that's the only way you can get those games other than the final and then about 50 percent of the champions league games and that's going to be its own product we don't know much about the we don't don't know anything yet about the name or what other sports programming it'll offer what the price will be and then you've got espn they'll be coming out with a service which will sounds like it'll be a lot like espn3 in terms of combining a lot of sports programming uh, boxing, soccer, MLS, etc., into one package to subscribe to that. So where is everything heading? Because to me, in some ways, um, the one advantage of having kind of the old system of, I mean, if you're, you're a Comcast or DirecTV or Dish or whatever your cable uh, subscriber system is, is that it was less confusing because you'd subscribe to Comcast or DirecTV or whoever, and you'd get an all-in-one system that gave you pretty much all the games that you wanted uh, from the teams and leagues that you're interested in. And you didn't have to think about it. Now, the streaming side of things has make it, made things more complicated. So depending on if you're a fan of, say, maybe support Rangers and you also like watching uh, the Premier League and you love watching La Liga and you're into MLS too, you might have to have like two or three different streaming packages just to be able to have access to all the, the games and all the, uh, the leagues that you're interested in. And at the end of the day, it's probably going to cost you more than what you were paying for before. So it does make it more complicated. It is seems to be that heading that way. It seems to be that that's the way we're heading, is that we're going to end up paying more for maybe more niche programming. Um, what do you think, Kartik? Is this the way that you see things are heading, or, or do you see them heading in a different way? I absolutely see them headed in, in, in this direction. I think we're going to be paying more for niche programming. Uh, we're already seeing that with uh, Premier League Pass, uh, with uh, whatever uh, Turner offers next season, as their um, as their sort of um, their, their their sort of uh, way of, of exposing us to Europa League, etc. I think we're also looking at a situation where uh, rights fees have, have accelerated so high for other leagues and other sports uh, that maybe a lot of soccer fans are not aware of. And for years, ESPN has just thrown its excess contact content they get from those contracts. I'll take the SEC and 
ACC contracts, as an example, in college sports. They just thrown that stuff on ESPN3 and offered it essentially for free if you are if you have espn now of course um if you get into the nitty-gritty of how cable bills are 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 formulated you're paying a lot more for espn than you are for nbcsn you're paying a lot more for espn than you are for any channel but you know essentially for free um at least from where they sit i think they're going to start packaging that stuff into specialized niche packages you can get the other Six SEC games uh, for this amount each weekend on uh, on this uh, with this uh, SEC may be a bad example because those games tend to be on television. But the other six, whatever from whichever conference, whichever league, and um, you might have a la carte packages. Now, if you're a fan of all these things, you're going to end up paying more than you've ever paid for your cable bill or satellite bill mm-hmm. uh, to where cord cutting, which was initially a, um, a way of saving money ends up, the, 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 the net effect of it ends up uh, streaming everything ends up costing a lot more money. Yeah, so I think we might be there. Well, we might get there, I should say. Right. Yeah. In, in some ways, it does give you the um, the kind of the, the freedom to go ahead and do what you want to do. So if you do cut the cord, uh, most of the contracts are on a month to month basis. So as the industry changes, as more and more television coverage moves to streaming, some of it moving to streaming exclusively, such as the Europa League for next season, is that at least you have the, the, the freedom to go ahead and choose whether to subscribe to that or not. Um, so for you as a listener or for me myself as a cord cutter, I can pick and choose the things that I'm interested in and pay and pay that amount of money for it. Um, will I be happy with that? Uh, I think I think it de- depends on the quality of the streaming coverage to making sure that uh, you know, it works and it's high quality, um, but also kind of just um, what choices are, are available because I might be happier well maybe not happier but i might be okay with just paying what i was paying before for cable but actually having more control over what i'm watching can can i ask you now as a cord cutter the expectation around the quality of streams you get what's your what's your level of expectation are you expecting it to to replicate your cable experience or do you are you expecting a fall drop off yeah, I'm I'm expecting it to hit uh, the same as cable, which which is kind uh, of a high bar to. Yeah. But but I have fiber, so I have AT T fiber as, as far as my internet connection. So there should be no reason why there should be buffering. So I've been testing. Uh, I mean, Directv now is one example. I've been testing that for the last three or four weeks uh, to see if that be something that I might be interested in subscribing to. And I've had buffering issues with that. So that to me, and, and actually watching the same coverage then with Fubo or Sling and having no buffering issues. Um, so, so that's a, a Directv now now issue that they need to resolve. But but my my that that that's the bar I'm looking at is is having that flawless experience. Yes. Now and again, things are not going to be perfect. Maybe I have to hit refresh or uh, exit out of the app and go back in t- to watch it. But uh, it should be, we're, we're getting there. We're getting closer and closer to having it as, as easy as switching on, on cable. I mean, it does open up more opportunities. It does op- open up uh, more choices. And uh, I think it's one of those things that um, we, we still don't know. I mean, in many ways, as far as BAMTech and Turner, what what price points they're going to be offering this content at? So if BamTech come back, comes back next year and comes with a kind of a soccer package that has uh, the championship, uh, League One, League Two in England, as well as some other rights, maybe FA Cup or something like that. What is MLS that? maybe? Well, 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 yeah. Well, ESPN is going to have their separate one, which is going to be through BamTech too. So maybe that'll be well, maybe it'll be joined together. Who knows? But it's going to be separate. Same thing with Turner too, in terms of uh, what's Turner going to charge for this coverage of Europa League and Champions League. Now, I mean that that, that could have a big factor, and I, and I think in many ways is that BamTech is the one that could be the, the best or worst thing that happens to soccer streaming coverage in the U.S. Um, most of it's depending on the pricing in terms of kind of what, what, what they view that price point is, is that soccer fans would be open to paying that. Um, but we'll have to wait and see because we don't know in terms of what they're going to be charging for a lot of these services in the future. But uh, Turner Sports too. Turner Sports could be, they could kill the Europa League in terms of the popularity. Well, it's not a huge popular league, but it's been growing in popularity and uh, they could kill the Europa League in terms of if they price it out of the market. And uh, but then again, they could maybe give give a, a big boost to the Europa League by offering it, say, for less than Fox Soccer to Go did. 
I guess there's a lot of there's a lot of unknown questions. I think you're right, Kartik, uh, in terms of what, the way things are heading, uh, where it's going to be more complicated. Uh, we're going to have to kind of see our way through this kind of uh, sea of streaming services. And I think everyone's kind of jumping on the bandwagon too. Like they're all kind of thinking about what can, what service can we offer? Can we can we charge this? I think a lot of the the industry too is looking at iFollow looking at the, the, the direct-to-consumer model. So football clubs and football leagues from around the world are probably saying, okay, if iFollow is a success, then why can't we do the same thing for, I mean, their Divisie or, or some of these other clubs? Um, and we've seen that too, Chivas. Chivas has a direct-to-consumer streaming platform, Chivas TV, uh, that's actually run by NBC Sports, the digital uh, group, but is only available outside of the United States. So... I think the football leagues are looking at this as iFollows and the Rangers TV and the Celtic TVs. So that could change things too. But uh, that that's the thing. It, it is change. And at the end of the day, I think it's uh, as consumers, at least this is on a month-to-month contract. So if things do change, we can cancel the subscriptions pretty easily and then move from one platform to another because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, cons- consolidation too in the future in terms of you mean, companies gobbling up other ones or uh, services changing. Such as we've seen with PlayStation View dropping uh, being sports completely from the lineup, uh, just as one example. Yeah, um, I, I think that this is this is a never uh, never boring topic, and it's going to continue to evolve in the next year or two. Uh, we've for a long time there have been people who've wanted a la carte cable services, and that never happened, right? You had tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. This, in in a way, as you said, gives you more flexibility, gives you a way of kind of controlling your own destiny and picking what you want if it goes the direction we think it's going to go. So uh, a lot a lot here. Thank you once again for the question. And I think it, it really <laughs> has yeah. opened open up a, a, an interesting discussion here. So Holden, that was a fantastic thing. It's not very often we get a question that we decide we need to spend uh, 15 minutes on discussing, but that, that was fantastic. Exactly. All right, Kartik, so this is a wrap-up. And uh, so where can listeners find you on the internet if they want to uh, see your work? Uh, KKFLA737, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, look for me on Facebook, Google Plus as well. Uh, you could check me out at World Soccer Talk, uh, thefloridasqueeze.com, and prostamerica.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Audio Boom, Spreaker and willsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and uh, be sure to give us a, a review on iTunes. And Kartik, with the uh, international uh, break upon us, what should they do? <laughs> <laughs> Try and enjoy your football, folks, but uh, I know it's tough. Uh, we're a week away from meaningful club action again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.